on ABC Grandstand Digital. This is more than just a game. Yes, welcome back to More Than Just A Game for another year here on Grandstand Digital. Paul Roach with you once again, and in the next half an hour we'll be looking at a few different aspects of the great sporting hand grenade that turned out to be just tear gas, i.e. the Organised Crime and Drugs in Sport report. We'll have a chat to Les Murray about massive match-fixing issues in the world game, and also look at the ongoing power struggle between players and administrators in uh, how a sport is run. As always, we'll be finishing off with red card, yellow card, and with this being the first show since the silly season, the bag is bursting. Joining me to commence proceedings, a man who has lobbed a few grenades of his own in his time, Simon Jono Johnson. And shall do today, Rochi. Great to be back. Looking forward to it. And a man who's only ever fixed matches by pounding the ball into the back of the net, David Bear Gill. G'day, Gilly. G'day, Rochi. Everyone have a good break. Great break, Rochi. And you? Good, thank you, Bear. Fantastic, fantastic. Tried a few image-enhancing uh, drugs, and <laughs> well, the jury, bit... the jury's still out. I thought you looked a little bit better. Um, look, can I just share with my favourite moment? This is a great Australian moment. We um, over the sort of Christmas summer period, we went to uh, some family slash friends. Uh, a lot of people did. The, the patriarch of that uh, that family, the host family, might have had a bit, of, spent a bit of time working for the local council. The big grassy reserve over the road that's usually knee length in glass grass mysteriously was mowed down to just a beautiful, uh, nice surface for us to all go over there and play cricket after lunch. Great Australian tradition. Oh, it's fantastic. Beautiful Getting thing. the local council on board to mow us the pitch was unreal. All right, we're going to kick off with uh, our look at the Crime Commission report, so we'll be back in just a sec. More than just a game on ABC Grandstand Digital. Well, what a way to kick off a new sporting year with the Australian Crime Commission firing one of the biggest shots across sports collective bow that you're ever, ever likely to see. The resulting predictable controversy and finger-pointing has been well documented, so we want to tear apart some of that controversy and point a few fingers of our own. But before we get on to that, has anyone actually stopped to ask the question, who exactly is this Australian Crime Commission anyway, and, and what do they do? Why do they care if a sportsman is injecting something that is a bit dubious? Well, Jono has been asking those questions, and mate, I trust you have a few answers for us. Of course I do, Rochi. So the, uh, the Australian Crime Commission, it's actually a statutory authority, and it's uh, designed to combat serious and organised crime. It reports directly to the Minister for Home Affairs, and it's part of the AG's department. Attorney General's. Attorney General's right, department, yeah. that's right. It ha- can draw on special coercive powers. It can um, issue witness summons, require witnesses to produce documents, and can operate under closed hearings. There's been a lot of controversy over the ACCC's powers over the, the past several years. It operates in great secrecy. You might have read um, a case a couple of years ago. There was a, a very high-profile ACCC officer by the name of Mark Standen. He was a 15-year decorated police officer, ultimately was found guilty two years ago of conspiring to import 300 kilograms of pseudoephedrine, which could actually manufacture $60 million worth of ice, and he was jailed for 22 years. Funnily enough. So it operates... Um, Distinct from other police organisations and in great secrecy. So the fact that it's investigating sport this way is a massive, massive story. And these guys actually copped a bit of flack maybe 12 months ago or something about those very powers, didn't they? The secrecy and the powers and their accountability and so forth. Whether or not they need to be reined in, that's right. But ultimately they have those powers subject to the statute and they've used them as we've all seen. Yeah, not that I'm trying to suggest that, um, that those questions are relevant here in the confines of their report. 
the big issue, of course, is the lack of specificity in the report. It's what we've seen so far is very vague, very general. There's been some specifics that have come out in relation to which clubs might be approached, but but that seems to be the big thing that's created all the controversy and whether or not there is some politics at play here. It kind of reminds me, actually, this the, the content of the report reminds me of a, uh, a slogan for a bit of confectionery from some time ago. It's, it's the bubbles of nothing that make it really something. The old aero bar. And, oh, names, names, names. And, and John, are there, there obviously legal reasons for that. Can you, being a being a litigator, could you explain to us what those reasons might yeah, be? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious uh, legal reason there is they don't want to prejudice any um, future criminal prosecution that might be undertaken. So all the AWC does, it issues recommendations. So it can't actually prosecute these people. Ah. So it issues recommendations and then hands it over effectively to the Australian Federal Police. And they're the ones that take the case forward. So if there's a crime that's been committed... Obviously, that's something that will be more relevant to the match-fixing aspect as opposed to the performance-enhancing drugs. Um, and if there's uh, endemic performance-enhancing drugs that have been taken, then there might be a recommendation that some kind of commission or royal commission be undertaken. But really, it's an investigative body as opposed to um, a crime-prosecuting body. So given what you've told us about the aid double C and is it just me or is everyone want to say A triple C all the time it's close isn't it let's just call it the, the, crime, commission. the crime commission so what you're, telling us, what you're telling us about the crime commissioning so where we're at in this process is so very early stages early days. there'll be a lot of investigating over the next many months it'll be front and back pages for the next 6 to 12 months oh can't wait and I suppose for a lot of people the timing of the report was, was particularly interesting do we know I mean was the report and the decision to publish it now is that an A triple C decision or double C double C <laughs> A double C decision, or is that something where where politics may have may have played a role? Look, who knows? The speculation is that you know it's taken Julia Gillard and the Labor Party off the front page. But if that was uh, the case, on. then um, then the Pope probably uh, announced his resignation in a particularly good piece of timing as well. So maybe she's got a direct line to Cardinal Ratzinger as well. Maybe there's a bit of um, papal resignation fixing going on. <laughs> I must say, I did read the uh, entire report, as did my fellow panel members. Yeah. It's not the most interesting document I've ever Sorry read. Stuff, pretty, pretty dry. Very, you, very repetitious. Did you trouble yourself with the appendices, which went through the, the biochemical detail of the um, substances in question? I, I would say the, uh, the most I could say is that I flicked through the appendices. I stopped at the appendices. Uh, one, one of the big issues, though, of course, is what's happened with um, Stephen Dank and, and the sports scientists who have been implicated so far. And I don't know what you guys think about that, but I, I think it's pretty outrageous the way that was handled. And this is a guy who... Um, up until now, was a you know, well-respected sports scientist, worked with any number of codes, and he's been hung, drawn and quartered without actually any charges being laid. So my theory on this is this. So if, if everyone wants names. There's this general report that s- says nothing, that doesn't name a single club or, or player, although subsequent to the report coming out, a few clubs have sort of uh, put their hand up or, or what have you. But that seems at, at this stage that as far as it's going to go. So the media being the beast that it is, that we are, uh, wants a name and he and he's the guy. He'll be hung out to dry. But it sounds like I don't think he's going to go quietly. So if there is to be an issue there, he'll be uh, taking people down with him, but obviously protesting his innocence thus far. Definitely trial by media, but there must be question marks around the man when you read about where these where these drugs come from. It's possibly substances that have not been medically approved or tested, not 
fit for human use, and yet it seems like he may have been involved in in, in supplying it, it's them. A yeah, it's a fine line, though. May, may have, isn't it? Very, very fine line. I mean, part of those substances, yeah, he's got the business which um, consults the sports clubs, and he has to abide by the ASADA and wider codes in that respect. But he's also got a completely separate business, which is just supplying to the general public. And if people want to take those substances, it doesn't matter whether they've been approved or not approved by WADA or ASADA. I love it how the anti-aging industry is suddenly in the spotlight. I never knew it existed. And he looks good too, doesn't he, Stephen <laughs> Deck? I reckon he probably takes some of his own product for a 60-year-old bloke. <laughs> in, in poking around for uh, leading up to this, I, I found or noticed that Essendon actually denied to um, some Melbourne print media in November of 2012, that it had concerns that it, quote, had concerns over its sports science department, unquote, after uh, Dank, well, was, was sacked, was the word used in the report that, uh, that I read. Um, interestingly enough, that denial by Essendon was repeated the day before their announcement, which in turn was a day or two before the, the Crime Commission. It was, wasn't it? So, um, look, it's, I mean, it's interesting because surely a sports scientist in that, in that environment, their job is to go as close to the line as possible. So, um, I don't know, it's just, it must be a very fine line that they, that they um, have to tread. Um, and finally, just before we leave the subject, I loved how everyone's getting involved. I read the um, that Tourism Australia, uh, the shockwaves have spread out to Tourism, Tourism Australia. They reckon that it'll affect tourism numbers, this this scandal, with uh, a Lions tour and an Ashes tour coming up. All, all, the, all, the, all the mums and dads in England are scared that their little boys will come out here and watch, watch footy and end up uh, taking lots of drugs, I think. It is actually a pretty bad story, though, isn't it? I mean, it's made big press overseas, and irrespective of what the detail of the report is or what's actually been published here... What people the takeaway message overseas is is that Australians are involved in match fixing and illegal drugs. Yeah, well, as I've said to a couple of pommy mates of mine, just careful about how throwing stones within glass houses because it, uh, they may well have their own report ready to come out. It's not like we're isolated out here. As as uh, we'll talk in a moment about football, it's a it's a global operation, and some of the um, the gambling dens dens that have been mentioned have a global reach. Well, look, so, uh, folks, the waiting game has been has begun on that Crime Commission report. And uh, will the sleeping giant awaken, damage careers, clubs, and even codes? Will a few bad apples even fess up? Or is it all just a bubble that will go pop? We shall see. The Bell Lap on ABC Grandstand Digital. Oh, damn it. Missed it again. If you've missed a show on Grandstand Digital, don't worry. You can go online and listen again. And listen again. Simply log on to abc.net.au slash grandstand and click on the audio link. So if you miss a show, you know where to go. abc.net.au slash grandstand. In a topic not altogether unrelated to the Crime Commission report, world football was recently hit with allegations of match fixing on a previously unheard of scale, with some 700 games across the world being called into question. Bear, you're our resident football fanatic. Do you want to fill us in on what's going on here? So Europol, who the law enforcement arm of the European Union, has blown the lid on a massive and systematic match-fixing conspiracy, conspiracy operated by crime syndicates in Asia and Europe, involving anywhere between 380 to 680 matches, depending on which report you believe, 425 match officials, club officials, players and criminals, and over €8 million Euros in profits. And maybe of more concern, Rob Wainwright, the director of Europol, has described this investigation as the tip of an iceberg. And closer to home, we've recently heard of a massive gambling plunge on a single A-League game, a bookmaker in Hong Kong taking $49 million in bets in relation to a single match, mm. Adelaide versus Melbourne Victory in December. And very startling, the, the same weekend, 
was the Manchester Derby, and the same bookmaker took seven million dollars less um, <laughs> in in bets on on that game. One of the one of the biggest fixtures in world football so many issues to discuss and and who better to talk us through those issues than the voice of australian football les murray les welcome to more than just a game good day guys probably start with a difficult question you 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 recently wrote an article on the world game website and you referenced some potential match match fixing issues in australian soccer dating back to the 1960s and you speculated as to the the vulnerability of the modern Australian game. Is that just speculation at present, or are there rumours and whispers in the in the corridors of Australian football that Australian football fans should should be very concerned about? Well, I mentioned the the possibilities uh, and the attractiveness of uh, of football uh, in terms of uh, game manipulation manipulation because there's so much money in the game. I mean, if any sport is going to be vulnerable to match fixing. It's going to be football because it generates so much interest worldwide. Uh, so many people uh, around the world think they can uh, they can uh, bet on a game um, in a in a in an educated way. So it, it has a lot of customers. So manipulating games is uh, uh, for the crooks is a very attractive thing in football, and that's what I was talking about. There were there were cases of match fixing that I know about. Uh, in the 1960s, or I saw evidence of them, uh, none of them were investigated, and uh, so there was no uh, actual convictions done, but I know it, it does happen. Now, uh, what we know from what David Gallup, the FFA's chief, uh, chief executive, told us is that uh, there are no games in the A-League that are under investigation in this uh, current process. Uh, so it looks like the A-League is in, pretty much in the clear, but globally, uh, I'm sure it goes on, and uh, and I'm not surprised it goes on. The, the A League must be particularly vulnerable, though. When I look at the Premier League, and and Wayne Rooney earns a hundred thousand pounds a week, the the motivation for him to be involved in bribery um, can't be very much. But your average A League player may be earning seventy five thousand to to a hundred thousand dollars a year, and we know now that the Asian crime syndicates are interested in the A League. It it really seems like something that the administrators will will need to be very very careful about. I oh, heard that right. Uh, you're right about Wayne Rooney's salary, and 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 it's unlikely that players uh, who earn that kind of money are going to throw games for uh, even a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Uh, but but it's uh, uh, it's something that's going to that, that makes the uh, lower tier games, if you like, uh, uh, vulnerable, and that's that's what happens. I mean, in some cultures, uh, it's quite common, from what I know. I mean, I know players uh, who have spoken to players off the record, who have spoken to certain leagues in the world where it goes on quite regularly, uh, and uh, and they know about it. Uh, they won't come out about it because they. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're in fear of reprisals. Uh, so we know it, it goes on. The FIFA Ethics Committee, of which I'm a member, uh, is currently investiga- also investigating uh, certain allegations of match manipul- manipulation. Uh, I can't say any more than that because uh, those, those things are still under investigation. But uh, I'm sure it goes on. Liz, you, um, in your article, you described betting as the big poison in the modern game. Um, isn't uh, one of the issues here that gambling in- interests do have such a large economic interest and stake in world football? You look at um, a major world betting organisation fronted by Hollywood actor Samuel Jackson. He's now promoting um, in the A-League. 
And of course, many of the major clubs around the world, for example, Real Madrid, have been sponsored by gaming uh, companies over the years. So is it the case that this is just a poison that we have to swallow? Well, I don't think we have to swallow it. Uh, it's just a criminal activity, so it has to be um, uh, stamped out or stamped out as much as it can be stamped out. Uh, we have to be vigilant, vigilant about it. I mean, the Europol investigation uh, is good news as far as uh, I'm concerned because it means that that action is being taken. So we don't know the results of that, but I hope that uh, if it comes to pass that there's a lot of uh, uh, cases of match-fixing that uh, punishments are handed out. What I, what I said in the article uh, is that uh, it's not so much doping but match-fixing which is the big threat because what the criminals are now doing uh, is in fact uh, um, attracting, attracting athletes uh, to take uh, uh, drugs, to take uh, performance-enhancing substances and then blackmailing them into throwing, throwing games or throwing events. Uh, and that's a very big threat to the game. Liz, so you mentioned that in the article, as you say. It's also something that gets mentioned in the Crime Commission report, which we'll uh, maybe turn to in a moment. Does it follow then that if we uh, get to the root slash stamp out doping, that we go a long way towards um, fixing up, for want of a better word, match fixing? Or are the two issues that separate, um, that we need to approach match fixing sort of head on first of all? Well, there is a, there is a bit of an overlap. But... If if, uh, if 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 doping in fact leads to leads to match fixing, then then doping uh, has to be stamped out. Uh, obviously, that's that's uh, that's an obvious thing to say. I mean, doping is a big threat to sport because it's a form of cheating, and uh, I don't know if the battle is ever going to be won because the uh, the the crims and the and the and the pharmacists and so on uh, always seem to be ahead of the game. Um, I mean, how how Lance Armstrong's uh, systemic drug taking could go on for so long uh, is, is astonishing without being uh, without being detected or it ever coming out. It was just uh, it's astonishing that this can go on for so, such a long period of time. Well, I think uh, you know the UCI to some degree is implicated in in all that, and hopefully FIFA is uh, is not quite in it uh, to the same extent. Liz, what about uh, where do you stand on on betting sponsorship of, of codes and of, of teams? Um, and indeed, sort of um, intra-game advertising, what do you, uh, uh, betting advertising within football. What, where do you stand on that? Well, I don't like it. I mean, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think uh, gambling is a is a particularly healthy pastime, and it shouldn't be associated uh, so visibly uh, with sports. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, uh, is a bigger star in the A League than uh, than Archie Thompson. So, uh, from from the television coverage, uh, it, 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 I, I don't like it, and it's. It's no wonder that so many uh, people, young people, vulnerable people, naive people, are being uh, caught in the web of gambling. Uh, so I don't, uh, maybe something, uh, some legislation should be thought about regarding uh, uh, betting companies sponsoring sporting events, uh, etc. I think that's well worth being discussed. Les, you mentioned the, the FIFA Ethics Committee. I, I read some comments from Sepp Blatter uh, around the match-fixing scandal, and I, I know that Sepp has a unique way with words uh, from time to time, but he seems to be suggesting that, okay, maybe 600 to 800 games have been affected, but millions aren't, therefore we don't have a problem. Was, has, has he been misquoted, and is, is, is FIFA's heart in the right place? Well, I haven't, I haven't seen uh, that quote from, uh, from Blatter, but uh, Blatter, of course, is forever the PR... Uh, 
agent for football or for FIFA. And uh, it's not surprising that he says we shouldn't over overreact. Uh, I mean, he's right in, in terms of numbers. I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of football matches being played every single minute of the day around the world. Uh, it's, it would be uh, unlikely if anything other than a small minority of them would be, would be manipulated. So uh, overall, it's a, it's a pretty healthy game. Uh, but, um, you know, no, no amount of match fixing is, uh, is excusable, of course, because the fans are being duped. I couldn't help but uh, chuckle uh, a quote from Blatter just before the, or around the time of the African Na- Cup of Nations final, where he was, uh, Blatter was busy telling people that racism was a bigger problem in, uh, in football at the moment. All right, Les, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being part of more than just a game. Good to talk to you guys. All right, Les Murray there joining us to talk about all things Football, and there's plenty going on there. Um, the lure of dirty money versus that innate competitive desire to win. Will the fight between the, ever t- the two ever really go away? More than just a game on ABC Grandstand Digital. New South Wales cricket witnessed a tumultuous sequence of events mid-summer with Brett Lee publicly calling for the head of New South Wales Cricket Association head David Gilbert, being reprimanded, getting off, then Gilbert falling on his sword. It's another chapter in the modern-day drama that is player power versus those that run or even indeed even own the game. You'd think that the goals and desires of the two would be broadly the same. But um, look, uh, I think it's a matter of public record that uh, there's a fair bit of opinion out there that uh, Mr Gilbert was was not a very good communicator and uh, was probably too good a delegator. Uh, John, you were saying off air that uh, you can't really see ahead of any of the other codes behaving along those lines. Yeah, you can't imagine if a a player, be it high profile or not, came out and had a crack at the administrators in AFL, for example, that um, Andrew Demetrio would allow that to happen. I'm sure Andrew Demetrio would come down very hard and it probably shows um, the lack of uh, strength within New South Wales cricket administration at the moment. But I think in order to talk about player power, you've got to have a manifesto. And um, one of the big examples of player power in recent times was Warney and Warney's manifesto. Did anyone uh, read yes, that? I about did. how we, the, the Warney's revolution about how you change Australian cricket and what, what we need to do. It was a tough read. It was very dense. I, I, I was distracted by the photos because there seems to be a different photo of, of Warney on each page, uh, each time sporting a more outrageous outfit. Or Warney texting. I thought that was the great photo. He, or he or very... poker tips as well. For, for anyone who's not been on shanewarn.com, do yourself Great a favour and please go and have a look. But it's, it's a bucket of laughs. Probably the best website I've seen. <laughs> there are manifestos out there. We've, we've heard of the Communist Manifesto, Mein Camp, the US Declaration of Independence, but Warney's Manifesto, it leaves them all in the shade. It does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Karl Marx, eat your heart out. Founding fathers of cricket. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's unreal. It's just um, warning his, and his mates, they'll, they'll rescue cricket. They will, yeah. But it's an example of, I guess, player power um, playing a big role and having a go at the, the administrators of that sport and probably having a, a serious amount of power as well. Because you look at, I mean, we'll look at the historical examples, and I, I want to ask Gilly about uh, football in a moment, but you think of that series, How's That? Um, and that, you know, a lot of people watch that, obviously, and that showed fairly clearly. Um, about player power versus administrators and also the media, as it turned out. But, um, I mean, that, that was obviously a bit of a, quite a turning point for cricket. And suddenly the commercial potential, or, or at least the commercial role that the players play in the sport, sort of became apparent to everyone. For, for mine, it's just them earning their, their, their rightful money. Gilly, what about football? What's, what's the story there? Well, it's a lot of money now. 
This may be very difficult to believe, but if you go back into history, there was actually a maximum wage in English football, and that first started in 1900, and the maximum weekly wage back then was £4 a week for a footballer, and that rose to a massive £9 a week in 1947. As the game commercialised, footballer player power slowly grew, and you fast forward to today, uh, and you look at the top three earners in English football in uh, 2012, Wayne Rooney, 20.6 million euros a year. Sergio Aguero, 18.8 million. Yaya Toure, 17.6 million. With those Who was that bloke, that last bloke? Yaya Toure from, the, the, from the Ivory Coast. Oh, he's, he's a fantastic player. Fantastic player. Million, one million, I think. <laughs> but as, as those salaries have increased, it's, it's only natural that their power within the game has increased. You look at uh, the NHL, actually, the National Hockey League, and they, they have, uh, in the season 2012, 2013,. Uh, cut it in half because they had a, a, an industrial dispute. I mean, the, the, the Yanks, of course, the North Americans is a Canadian sport as well. North Americans are very good at uh, sort of being the lead, at, at the lead of these sort of things. And, um, yeah, there was a collective bargaining agreement that expired in September 2012 and the Players Association could not agree with the NHL, which I gather from my reading is essentially representative of the owners and uh, of, the, of the teams largely. The commission of the NHL basically represents the, the owners. And but, exactly the same scenario in basketball the season before. And, yep. again, it was the owners versus the players. Yep. It's about revenue share and uh, salary caps and so forth. But um, no, look, it's it's all very interesting, and, and it's not something that's going to go away. There'll be that constant tension between uh, the uh, the players out there on the court trying to run the asylum and uh, the the ex players who who think they know better. Shada. Out now, the Doctor Who Legacy Shada. box set, featuring the legendary 1979 Tom Baker story Shada. Written by Douglas Adams. I thought it was a very good script. Plus an extended version of the 1993 anniversary documentary, More Than 30 Years in the TARDIS. I've always felt at home in museums. All digitally remastered for the BBC. The Doctor Who Legacy Box Set. From ABC Shop Online, ABC Shops, Centres and DVD retailers. Red card, yellow card. Uh, yes, our favourite segment, Red Card, Yellow Card, where we have a look at players misbehaving off the field of play. And given uh, we've had a silly season since the last time we uh, we met, the uh, the bag, as I said at the top of the show, is chock-a-block full of nominations, so much so that we're going to give an, each going to give an honourable mention before we give our actual nomination. Allow me to kick off. Hawthorne's Brian Lake, a fresh recruit from the Doggies. Not that fresh, he's about 30 years old, I think. Uh, the Western Bulldogs, brand new to the Hawthorne, hasn't actually played a game yet, in other words. Um, over the January period, got into a drunken argument with his wife at the Portsea Polo. Could happen to anyone. As you do, <laughs> the Polo, uh, down there in, in, in Victoria. Um, so him and the wife apparently spent four hours in, uh, in, a, in a slammer. They did go home in the back of a divvy van and uh, picked up 563 bucks each in fines, although no further action was taken by the club over, over Brian Lake. Of course, Mayor Cooper's was about having to prove himself at his club. So honourable mention there, but... My nomination still in Australian rules football is Demon Jeremy Howe, who uh, went with a bunch of mates, some of whom also played for the Demons, out to the Boxing Day test to uh, to watch Jeremy's cousin, amongst other things, other people, um, Matty Wade, uh, play. But uh, it was got a bit boozy, apparently, and Jeremy Howe managed to get himself ejected from the test match, from the MCG, after, quote, after exchanging words and remonstrating with other fans. So be careful about that, folks. Uh, players have been drinking throughout the day, and at one, one point held aloft a long train of empty plastic beer cups. How was asked to leave by security. How does that cross a love a cross code nomination and, form. and involving a cultural institution that is the Boxing Day Test? 
Great film. That's a good nomination for mine. Jono, what have you got? Bit of a motoring theme for me, Rochi. Oh, so, man. firstly, my honourable mention is um, Shane Warne. He always crops up on our show, doesn't he? But he was charged for speeding in Scotland. Apparently, he was clocked at 165 k's an hour in a Jaguar XFR V8. <laughs> Do you um, know what that is? No idea. No. no. <laughs> Sounds good, though. Effect. It's supercharged, yeah. Um, ironically, though, the month before, Warney had actually fronted the Transport Accident Commission's Road Safety Initiative as they were the main sponsors of his 2020 team for that season. <laughs> yeah, so, fantastic. good on you, Warney. Um, but repeat offender gets my gong for red card this week, which is uh, Bernie Tomek, our, an old favourite. He lost his licence after being caught speeding again in his yellow Ferrari. And I think he may have uh, had a, an honourable mention last year for getting into a fight with one of his best mates in a spa. Yeah, fight inverted commas. Yeah, so actually, we, good point, John. So we, Bernard, we're going to give yellow or red? Bernie gets red. Yeah, I, and I, did, I forgot about that for mine. I think, obviously, Jeremy Howe's already been given a red by the security staff of the MCG. Gilly, what about yourself, mate? I have another repeat offender for my honourable mention, and this is Michael Clark for tearing up in public again. And what I think made made it particularly bad was that he was accepting the Allen Border Medal. And I think AB, you know, AB would never have cried in any situation. And the great man looked horrified as as, as Clarky broke down before the Australian <laughs> public once again. But my nomination actually goes to Michael's wife, Kylie, for her uh, fashion faux pas on, on, on the same evening. I would describe her outfit as something out of the early 80s musical hit Xanadu. It was kind of retro Egyptian look featuring most... Of most note, a, a a solid metal golden belt. I, I had no idea that, that gold belt, uh, metal belts had come back into fashion, but it was a shocker. Is this this is the white thing? Was it that it was over the sort of kind of over the shoulders? The white like- thing, white thing. But have a the, the white thing was the first thing that caught my eye. But have a look at the belt. Do yourself a favour and have a look at the belt. It sort of looked a bit like something that Harry Seidler might have designed. That's the way I saw it. Anyway. I don't know who designed it, but whoever did should probably be in jail. John- <laughs> John, is that a reasonable nomination? It's yeah, I'm not a, sure about the sports star issue there, but um, we'll, bit, we'll go with it. She, it's a tenuous relationship. It is a bit tenuous, isn't it? All right, there. Yeah, look, the, the strong, strong views though from Bear there. They're true. Yeah, Very we'll, serious about we'll, my we'll fashion. Go. All right, folks. Well, that brings to the end our first show of uh, 2013 here on More Than Just a Game. Thanks very much for your company. It's goodbye to Jono. See you, Reggie. See you later, Bear. Goodbye all, and we'll see you next time on More Than Just a Game.